Amen. I tell you what, if that didn't minister to your heart, I'm a little concerned about your heart. Our God is alive. Amen. He is a holy other God. Amen. That means he's not like me. Isn't that good news? Say it's good news. He's not like Pastor Brady. He is almighty God, all knowing, all power for everywhere at the same time. And yet very much here this morning. Amen. Amen. If this is your first time here at Grace Point, I want you to know that we don't apologize about getting excited about God because He has done so much in our life. We just want to invite you in to experience Him at whatever level you feel comfortable. You know, uh, last week, it was awesome for me to see how well you responded to the teaching of God's Word in encouraging others in the Word. Remember we talked about how it's more than giving a compliment. Compliments are good. But, but encouraging someone in the Word is, is, is noting in them when I see Jesus in them or taking a truth from God's Word and giving hope to them and lifting them up. And I've watched you do that. Many of you have been recipients of encouragement from a brother and sister, and it's my prayer that, that you'll get addicted to that, that, that you'll, you'll start looking for every way to encourage people around you in the Word. I also want to remind you that our next teaching series coming up, uh, you've got questions. He, meaning Jesus, has got answers. If you'd like to submit a question, for us to go to God's Word, to look at, to help answer that question. This is your last week to do so. There's been so many great questions that have come in, but I don't want to miss your question if you'd like us to talk about that. So uh, jot that down in one of those forms, or you can email that to me at byweishart at gpnaz.org. Uh, any other complaints you can do to our person at gpnaz.org. That's, no, I'm just teasing. You can send those to me too if you want to. Grab your Bible, and let's, let's look at Ephesians chapter 2. This is a key text for us this morning. I want to share with you a message entitled, The Good News of Grace. There's going to be a number of passages of Scripture that we're going to zero in on, but the, the one that frames all of this for us is in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4 through 5. So grab your Bible, turn there. If you don't have a Bible, take your device. Uh, navigate over to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4 and 5. You read silently as I read aloud. Ephesians 2, 4 and 5. But because of His great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in transgressions, it is by grace you have been saved. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we are so thankful today for the light that we have because of you. I thank you, Father, that you are so gracious and you, you have enriched us with your mercy. You have allowed us to become so rich in your grace. And, and I ask, Holy Spirit, that you would be our teacher today. Help us not just to get it, but to be gotten by the truth that your good news is really good for us. Lord, may we see that this is not just something that can change our life, but something that you want to spread through us to others. Lord, I ask that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our heart today on your word would be pleasing and acceptable to you. In your name, Jesus, we ask these things. Amen. Amen. Before we can dive into this teaching this morning, we, we need to look at these words, mercy and grace, that's in this text. There's, there's a distinct difference between mercy and grace. We need them both. I'm thankful for both, but, but there's a difference we need to know. Mercy, for you and for me, is when we have something coming to us, something that we deserve, something that we have earned and we don't get it. We're shown mercy. So if the king shows you mercy, if the courts show you mercy, you have done something, you've done an action, you've done something, and this is your penalty, and mercy is granted to you, and that, that penalty is not given to you. But we see grace, 
is something that is given to us, a blessing that's given to us that we don't deserve. It's something that we don't deserve that's given to us, and we have both of these in Christ. There is mercy and there is grace. I think of mercy as the gavel that falls to declare that we are forgiven and that we are made righteous because of what Christ has done on the cross. And grace is the hand that lifts us up and that empowers us to live a new life. Mercy marks the old. Grace marks the beginning of a new life in Christ. Mercy saves us from death, and grace saves us to a new life. I'm thankful for both. We need both, but we need to look at learning to live by God's grace. Now, listen to this. You may jot it down, but don't turn there. Uh, 2 Timothy 2.1. If you're fast, you can go ahead and turn there. But 2 Timothy 2.1 says this. Be strong in the grace of Christ Jesus. Now, we can try to be strong in a lot of things. You can try to be strong in your physical strength. You can try to be strong in your intellect, in your education, in your own experiences. But we are called to be strong in the grace of Christ Jesus. Some of you may remember that ancient hymn from church history that was sometime written in the 1960s and 70s, Learning to Lean on Jesus. I don't know if it made the list of hymns from all of church history, but that song in the 60s and 70s gave us the lyrics that says, I'm learning to lean, I'm learning to lean, I'm learning to lean on Jesus. Finding more power than I'd ever dream, I'm learning to lean on Jesus. Uh, I've discovered in my life, as many of you, that there is a secret to power, and it's not in what I do in myself, but it's in how dependent I am on Christ. The secret to power in the Christian life, it's not you being strong enough to do it on your own, but it's being wise enough to know that you can't do it on your own and depending on Jesus. And grace is a big part of this. When we understand how good the good news of grace is, it changes our life. You know, every person in this room and outside this room is going to be held to account for what we have done with grace. Every person. Someday, maybe someday soon, when Jesus comes back, we are going to be held to account of what we've done with grace. When we die or when he comes back, we're going to be held accountable in two ways. First, what have I done, what have you done with the grace of Jesus Christ and his blood that was shed for us? Did we accept Christ as our Savior? Every person will be held to account for that. Did I confess my sin? Did I repent of my sin? Did I accept Jesus and by grace be saved into relationship with Him? I have to answer for it. You have to answer for it. Every person you lock eyes with, they'll have to answer to it. In a second way, we'll also answer to what we've done with, with grace. And the fact that every person has been giving giftings. The Lord has given you abilities. He's given you your, your time, your talent, your treasure. And how have you invested that? We have, we're going to be called to account on what we've done with it. You know, the, the, the parable of, of the talents and, and those who were entrusted these things and, and, and what happened, it's, it's a calling to account. Hebrews nine twenty seven says this, Just as people are destined to die once, and after that to face judgment, so Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many. He will appear the second time not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. Now go back to the first part of that verse. Just as people are destined to die once. Friend, you will only die once. That's kind of good news. I mean like die, dead, dead, die. Like if you're fully dead, that's only going to happen once. You're not going to be reincarnated to live on this earth over and over and over and over and over again. There's eternal life with him, don't misunderstand me, but you are to live on this earth one time. 
and you will die one time. And we will face judgment. There's a very real understanding that we'll face judgment. Now, for those in our culture, for, for those who believe in reincarnation, I hate, I hate to tell them that this isn't happening. It's not that I'm going to live on this earth a life, and depending on what I did, I'm going to come back to this earth and live another life, and come back to this earth and live another life, and, and, and what I'm in my current state is in reflection to what I did in the previous life on this earth and before and before and before. Friend, th- that's not there. There is a big difference between karma and grace. Now, we only have one life on this earth. There's eternal life in him, but one life here to get it right. Now, there's some people who don't just believe in reincarnation. They believe in reincarnation. And that's the belief that you come back as a hillbilly. And I need to tell you, that's not true either. Oh, I don't know that anybody believes that. I just want to say that. I thought it would be fun to say. But what is true is the principle of reaping and sowing. In Galatians 6, 7, it says, Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. And so there is this principle here on this life, not for like coming back to this earth again and again and again, but on this life, the, the general principle, what I sow, I will reap. Now, grace has a huge impact into this concept, but let's just park here for a minute. I, I will reap what I sow. For example, a person who is critical, who is judgmental, a person who is, is vindictive, who is small and ugly in their attitude, they have a tendency most of the time, not all the time, most of the time, to receive back what they give out. The converse is true. Think of the person who is gracious, who is loving and kind and encouraging. There's just an atmosphere of positivity around them. There is love and hope oozing out of them. They have a tendency, not all the time, but a tendency that they receive back. Remember last week, the gas can and the water jug? You need them both. It's not one's good and one's bad, but but you use them both at the right time. You can bless someone and it gets all over you. You use them both at the wrong time. You can curse someone and it gets all over you. You, you reap what you sow. But that is intended on this life. And grace impacts that. We'll get there into just a second. But there are a devastating result if we live our life with this understanding of karma. If I would live my life in accordance with this doctrine of karma, there's a great contrast between the two. Let's do that for just a second. And karma, there is this fatalism. It's this karmic debt that I'm just getting what I deserve. Where I'm at, it's just what I did in the previous life on this earth, and there's nothing you can do about it. I just try to be a little bit better. Maybe the next go around that I come back as a little bit higher of a being. And and there is this depressing fatalism in this doctrine or understanding with karma. But grace is in contrast to that. While we reap what we sow, when we begin to embrace the grace of God, there is an optimism that comes in. There is tremendous optimism in this understanding of God's grace in our life. In cultures and in communities where karma rules strong, there is this dichotomy. We have people who are living in in absolute poverty next to people who are living in tremendous wealth, and there appears to be no conflict between the two of this injustice of what is happening in the person who is living in complete destitute poverty. They say, well, this is just kind of, you know, what I did in the past life. This is my situation. And so I'm kind of receiving this. It's just fatalism. It's just how it is. And the person who has tremendous wealth, well, I don't care about them. I mean, it's, it's what they did in their past life. And I'm getting what I deserve because of what I did in my past life. It's what I deserve. But for those who are in Christ, the understanding of grace, everything I have, Every gift I have is a gift from God. Amen? 
And so therefore, when I see people around me, I don't say, well, what I give to you, well, do you deserve it or not? I've been given what I don't deserve. So therefore, I give others what they don't deserve. I heard a, a minister on the news a number of years back, and he was working with the uh, gangs in California, and, and, and this minister was asked, aren't you afraid that you're going to be taken advantage of in these very high-stakes situations? And he paused the news commentator and he says, I don't think I understand. Could you ask it again? And they asked the question again, aren't you afraid that you're going to be taken advantage of in these very high-stakes situations? He said, taken advantage of? I could never be taken advantage of. I'm giving my advantage away every day before someone can take it from me. This is the understanding of grace. What's been, what's been given to me, I freely give to those around me. There's optimism there. We also see where karma gives us despair. In grace, we find hope. In karma, there is a justification. Well, I'm this way because of what I did, or I can't help it because I'll just have to wait to the next life. But where karma gives justification, in grace, there's a conviction There's a conviction that God gives that I have been given what I don't deserve. And this is not just to bless me, it's to bless others. In karma, there's a detachment. Well, it's just kind of how it is. I can't do anything about it. But in grace, God instills in us a compassion. There is something He calls us to do about it. In karma, there can be a self-centeredness. Even in my giving, I give so I can get. I give so it will come back around to me again. But in grace, there is a love, the love of Christ that's given there. Friend, the good news of grace is that it's all about second chances. Third, fourth, fifth, tenth, 109th chances. That's the good news of grace. And all throughout Scripture, we find stories of God giving second chances. Let's look at some of the Bible stories of second chances. We see Adam and Eve in Genesis. Adam and Eve sinned. And because they sinned, God had to act And they became aware of their sin and they were aware of their nakedness. And this was the guilt and the shame of their sin. And and God came to them and said, who told you you were naked? How did you know you were naked? And they saw the sin made this awareness. And so right at the beginning, God didn't give up on them. God could have given up on them and said, forget it. You blew it. I told you what to do. You didn't do it. But he gave grace to them. And he clothed them with animal skins. So by necessity, the animals had to die. I've tried to figure it out. How do you get animal skins? Take the skin off the animal and the animal lives. This is the first example of a sacrificial offering for the sin. And so God makes a way for them to be right with him and in relationship with him. And he starts the sacrificial system here. And we begin to see that God didn't give up on them. I wouldn't have done that. You should be thankful that I'm not God. If I was God, here's what I would have done. Adam and Eve sin, I would have killed them. Boom, right there. I would have brought him to the middle of the garden. I would have put him there, and I would, have, I would have done a very shallow grave. I don't know, six inches. And then just heap a bunch of dirt up on top of them. Two big mounds. Little marker, Adam, Eve. Then I'd go create Adam and Eve 2.0. And I'd bring them over. I'd say, Adam 2.0, come over here. Eve 2.0, look at this. This is generation one. Don't eat of this tree. You decide. That's what I would have done. But thank goodness I'm not God. Thank goodness in your heart that I'm not God. Because our God is a God of grace. And the good news about grace is God is a God of second chances. Amen? We find that this is not only true for Adam and Eve. We find it in Genesis in Noah's account. When humanity had become so sinful, God didn't give up on humans. No, he saved Noah and his family and gave the promise that he would not destroy the earth with the flood again. This was a second chance. This was God's grace and love coming to mankind. Moses in Exodus, he was guilty of anger 
and murder. <laughs> he actually was trying to do God's will, his way, to save his people, and he used his anger and he used a murderous heart to do so. That's a, that's, that's a mess. I mean, strike out, Moses. Let's go to someone else. Isn't that a little, little oops? This is a big oops. But God didn't give up on Moses. He encountered Moses in the burning bush and he said, I'm going to commission you to be a deliverer of my people. He says, I'm going to give you another chance. Follow me. Samson, in the book of Judges, we find Samson's story. Samson had a perfect body. Samson had incredible strength. Samson was literally a babe magnet. That's who Samson was. And for those of us who are inflicted with the same cross to bear, it's a tough thing. Oh, I'm just having fun with you. Samson, he, he revealed the secret of his hair. You remember this. The strength was in his hair. And then he lost that strength. But God gave him another chance. He restored him and gave him the strength for one more time to do his will before he died. David in 2 Samuel, David sinned, he committed adultery, and then he, he committed murder to cover up his adultery. But God didn't give up on him, give him another chance, and, and God calls him a man after his own heart. He became a godly and a good king. God is a God of second chances. Elijah, he won the Super Bowl of all spiritual warfare fights on Mount Carmel. But he found himself running in fear for his life because of the threats of a wicked king. In other words, he saw the power of God. He fought this mighty spiritual battle. But when it began to threaten his life, he turned tail and ran. And he was such a chicken. And he says, well, I can't do this. God didn't give up on him. He says, what is this? I just showed my power at Mount Carmel and all these miraculous things. And now you're running in fear. God found him at Moab, recommissioned him as a prophet. Thomas, the disciple, he doubted that Jesus really rose from the dead. So what did Jesus do? Scold him? No. He says, come here, get close. Thomas, come here. Put, put, your, put your hands here and feel the wounds in my hand. Put your hand here and feel the wound in my side. He said, I, I, I want you to see. I want to fix your faith. I want to increase your faith. And he commissioned him like all the other disciples to go out. The good news of grace is all about second chances. That is great news for us today, for those of us who are sinners. Amen? Turn to the person next to you and say, that's especially great news for you. Tell them. Just try it. It's especially great for you. One of the greatest examples, I believe, of the good news of grace in the New Testament is probably the story of Peter. So let's look at that for a minute. I don't know if you're like me, but I just love reading about the Apostle Peter because I can identify with this guy. I love this guy. He's the guy who could stick his foot in his mouth and wonder why what he would say wouldn't come out right. He's the guy who would have a ready fire, aim later, approach, and then go, oops, I, I didn't know that would happen. He was rough. He was outspoken. And yet Jesus, with whatever audacity, I'm not sure why, chose him to be one of his closest friends. He said, come with me. I'm going to depend on you. I'm going to work with you. On the night before the cross, this is where we find John 13, 36, this account. On the night before the cross, Simon Peter, Peter also called Simon, Simon Peter asked Jesus these things. Lord, where are you going? Jesus replied, where I am going, you cannot follow now, but you will follow later. He was speaking about death. Verse 37, Peter asked, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Then Jesus answered, will you really lay down your life for me? Very truly, I tell you, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. That's a pretty intense exchange with Jesus. 
little bit embarrassing. Hurt your pride a little bit. We know what happens later. All four of the Gospels record this account, and, and we begin to see that it was very public. It was made known what took place here. We know that Jesus was arrested in the garden, and then they were led to the home of the high priest Caiaphas. And in that courtyard, there was a fire, and people were warming themselves by the fire. And we read a little bit later on that a servant girl finds Peter, who's probably in the back there somewhere, his head, head hanging low and, and a little bit discouraged. And, and this servant girl said, hey, hey, you're, you're one of those who followed with Jesus, aren't you? No, I don't even know him. He disowns Jesus the first time. And it wasn't too much long later that someone else came and said, Hey, hey, I know you. You're, you were following with Jesus. He says, Not at all. What are you talking about? Second time, he disowns Jesus. And then it wasn't too much longer, just a few hours, and, and then there's someone else who says, Hey, you talk, you look like you're from Galilee. Aren't you one of those people with Jesus? He says, I don't even know who you're speaking of. What are you talking about? And disowns him for the third time. And we find here in Luke twenty-two sixty-one, there's a very chilling verse. And it says, at that moment, right there, the third denial, the Lord turned and looked to Peter. Can you imagine the power of that eye contact? Jesus, I'll never disown you. I will die for you. I'll die for you. No, you, you will deny me three times today. Never. One, two, three. Their eyes locked. He was had. Peter failed. He blew it. He absolutely failed. Jesus' prediction in the upper room came true. But we need to know there was another prediction in the upper room. In Luke 22, verse 31 and 32. Listen to this. Simon, Simon, Simon Peter, Satan has asked to sift all of you as wheat. All of you disciples. Jesus is speaking. But I have prayed for you, Simon Peter, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back to strengthen your brothers. Now we could read that and misunderstand, I think, what Jesus was praying for. We could read it as, well, Jesus was praying that Peter would not deny Christ. But in reality, Jesus knew Peter would deny him. And he's praying and predicting that when he denies him, he's praying that he would turn back to him in a way that he could encourage the other followers of him. He's praying, Peter... When you fail, I am praying that you have enough faith not to stay in that place of failure. I am praying that you will turn back to me. See, the faith that Jesus was praying for, it was for post-denial, not pre-denial of Jesus. Jesus wanted to restore him, and he wanted him to, to not stay in that fallen state. And Jesus is proving again that he is the Lord of second chances. It was great news for Peter in this low moment. Thankfully, we know how this story ends. Three days later, Jesus is crucified. Three days later, you remember what happens. You've read this. You've heard this before. The the women go to the tomb to anoint the body of Jesus, and he's not there. The stone is gone. The tomb is empty. All kinds of things go through their mind. And they, they meet this angel, and the angel of the Lord gives them a message. Jesus has a message for the disciples, and, and he, he gives them this message. He says, Jesus is risen from the dead. He is not here. Go tell all the disciples, Scripture says, and include Peter. <laughs> he got called out by name. And include Peter. Tell them, I'll go ahead of them to Galilee, and that they can meet me there. Now imagine with me, the women hear this. They go back to the disciples. They're so excited. We went to the tomb. He's gone. Jesus is, he's alive. And and the disciples stop him. Ladies, you are talking out of your mind. Slow down. What 
just slowly tell us everything that was said. Well, the angel said, he is not here, he's, he's risen, Jesus is alive, and they told us to come tell you, and to tell Peter, include Peter, and then Peter says, what, stop, what? No, Jesus is alive, yeah, I got that part, but, and to tell the disciples, yeah, yeah, and to include Peter, include me. See, Jesus wanted Peter to hear that because you failed, you're not out. I'm still calling you. I am praying that you will have faith not to stay in the place of failure. I want you to come back to me. I want to use you in a mighty way. This is the God of second chances. Peter immediately went with the other disciples to see Jesus. And in John chapter 21, we find this beautiful story of the risen Jesus and Peter's second chance. Now, as they're there waiting for Jesus, they go back to fishing. They go back to what they used to do. That's a whole other talk we should talk about. But they're there fishing and enjoying fishing. And, and apparently they're not catching a whole lot. It's kind of ringing true to something else that happened a little while back. And, and from the shore, they hear this voice that says, are, are you catching any fish? Why don't you throw your nets on the other side? They've heard this before. They kind of knew how this ended. Lots of fish. Let's try it again. Throw out the nets and bring up the fish and there's tons of fish coming in and they recognize this is jesus peter true to form jumps out of the boat runs to shore and says jesus now if you allow me to use my imagination i could just imagine they had this huge fish barbecue i don't even like fish but i bet you i would then and they just slathered it in butter and they just grilled up the best fish you've ever had and they're just eating to their heart's content and they're just eating it and loving it. it's a great time jesus is here he's not dead he's alive this is so cool and this is where we find this verse verse 15 when they had finished eating the fish barbecue, wait, I added that part. When they finished eating the fish, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Do you love me more than these? Now, this has been preached on a gazillion times. You have probably taught on this. You've heard it over and over again. If you haven't, listen close. You want to catch this. But, but you remember this word love wasn't just a generic love. It was a specific kind of love, a supreme love. He's saying, do you love me more than these with a supreme love? And so Peter answers, yes, Lord. He said, you know that I love you, but the specific love, it was like a friendship love. Clearly not what Jesus was asking. But Peter is honest. I haven't seen this till lately. I think Peter's honest. He could have said, yeah, I love you supremely. But, but he'd been saying things that wasn't true in his heart for a while, and that didn't get him very far. He tried to help out God and just kind of force something to be. He's, I'm going to be honest. I got love for you like a friend. And so Jesus says, feed my lambs. This encourages me. Do you catch this? Jesus says, do you love me like this? He goes, no, I love you like this. He says, okay. Feed my lambs. I can work with that. Obey me. I'm going to commission you anyway. I have work for you anyway. We're going to work on you getting a love like me. We're going to work on that. That needs to happen. I'm calling you to be holy as I am holy. I'm calling you to love the way that I love. I'm calling you to be in me and I'm going to be in you. But this is where you're at. And I'm going to say, feed my lambs right now. Then he goes at it again. Verse, uh, let's see here. Verse 16. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? That's supreme love again. He answered, yes, Lord, you know I love you. This friendship love again. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. Jesus is taking Peter just as he is. He's giving him an assignment. He's giving him a calling. He's giving him a purpose. And in verse 17, the whole thing happens again. A third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And here he changes it up. Do, do, do you even love me like a friend? 
And as we read on, he gets offended. He gets offended at the third time, and I'm sure offended at the implications of, do I even love you like a friend? He says this to establish the foundation of Peter's heart, the reality of his faith in him. You see, Jesus knows that he can't bring healing until he gets to the the reality of where his heart is. Now, now Peter was offended. No doubt he was probably hurt by this. I don't think Jesus intended to hurt Peter, but he wanted to heal Peter. He wanted to bring wholeness to Peter, and he's living in denial, and he says, no, 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 come here. Let me ask you. Let me, let me cut to the chase of where your love is. And Peter's going along with it. He says, yeah, uh, you know me. My love isn't perfect for you, but I love you. And Jesus says, then feed my sheep. I can work with the love that you're bringing Now, I had read this many times before, and I'd read, okay, three denials, and then we have three calling out of accountability. And it's like three and three and neat and clean, and that's all good. And that's appropriate. That's not wrong. There's a truth there. But there's this this secondary or tertiary truth that's coming up that Jesus says, (laughs) you need to know your love is not perfect like mine, but I can work with that. There's a, a Jesus of second chances that's calling out to Peter. That's incredible news for us today. Friend, there's some of us in this room that we are struggling. There's some of us in this room that maybe we have fallen. There's some of us who are having a hard time embracing living strong in the grace of Jesus. And maybe you're wondering if Jesus has given up on you. Friend, he's not given up on you. He's not even close to giving up on you. Now, maybe you're feeling condemnation, but you need to know that there is no condemnation in Christ. When you feel condemnation, that is from the pit of hell. Jesus has hope for you. He has given us mercy and grace. He calls us to a standard. He calls us not to stay stuck in that trap of sin, but he has great love for you. And he says, I have a second chance for you. The good news of grace is all about second chances. There's hope for you today, friend. Maybe you're here and you recognize that there is a willful disobedience. God said, this is what I want you to do. And you go, nope. I'm doing this. The Bible calls that sin. And maybe you've recognized that that has creeped back into your life. And and Jesus wants to have a conversation with you. Calls you and I out. Do you love me like this? Oh, we can try to kid ourselves and say, oh, I'm good. Yeah, I love you like that. Or we can get honest and say, here's where my heart is. I believe Jesus wants to whisper to you today, I can work with that. You you confess your sin to me. You repent. My grace will give you power to turn from that. I've been praying that you wouldn't stay stuck in the fallen place. Turn from that, and I want to use you mightily. Do you think that Peter knew what it was like to be used? We know how the story continues. In Acts chapter 2.14, it says that Peter stood up with the eleven. Another translation said, Peter stepped forward, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. And he gives this sermon. Now he's preaching this powerful sermon in a place that's very dangerous to be a christian and when he preaches this good news of the grace of jesus christ three thousand people accept him god uses peter god does miracles through peter he calls him to be a leader in the early church he inspires him to write part of the new testament god uses him and gives him another chance but why 
I believe it's because Peter knew what it meant to be humbled. He knew what it meant to fail. He knew what it meant to be in need of grace from God. And he could say with all conviction, this is what Jesus did for me. And people listened because he was speaking out of his own experience of who Jesus was to him. Not out of something he just learned in synagogue and crammed into his head. But it was oozing out of his experience with the very risen Jesus Christ. Friend, there is hope for you and I today. That's why Peter writes these words in his first letter in 1 Peter 5, 6. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. You think Peter knew what he was talking about? You think he knew what it was like to be humbled? To have that eye contact right in the middle of your denial, right in the middle of your disobedience, right in the middle of you blowing it, you catch eyes with Jesus? I'm had. Jesus was praying for Peter that he would have faith to come back to him because he said, I am a God of second chances. I want to bless you. And he used him mightily. That's not just true for Peter. That's not just true for me. It's true for you as well. The good news of grace is it's all about second chances. In a minute, I'm going to have Pastor Edgar sing a song. And I want to give us an opportunity to respond to God's teaching today. There's some here that you desperately need to be strengthened in the grace of Jesus. It it may not be for you that there's this area of willful disobedience that that you're made known of, but it's this fact that, that Satan is feeding you lie after lie of condemnation, lie after lie how you are not enough, lie after lie how you better just work harder in your flesh, lie after lie that if you don't do this, he can't... God is saying, I can work with that. Bring me your heart. Let's get honest. Where's your love for me? Here's where I want it to be. Here's where you're at. But when you're willing to surrender to me, Jesus says, I can work with that. So I got a mission. Go feed my sheep. Don't wait till you have it all together. Just go be obedient to me. We'll work on where your love needs to be. Talk about getting what you don't deserve. It's It's amazing. Some of us, that concept we're struggling with. I believe God has an encounter for you today. And in a minute, I'm going to open up the altar. You may want to come and pray and have that encounter. There's others here that it's willful disobedience. You know. He's calling you out. You've locked eyes. It's it's, it's been a denial of what he wants you to do. And and you're had. I don't know it. Maybe no one else knows it. You and and Jesus know it. (laughs) He's saying, I am praying for you, my son, my daughter that you won't stay in that fallen state, that you'll come back to me because I not only want to bring forgiveness to you, the restoration to you, but I want to give you the power that you have to stay stuck in that position your whole life. Jesus loves us enough to say, on your own, you're probably going to mess it up bad. But if you remain in me and I remain in you, there is victory for you. If Jesus has been speaking to you today, As Pastor Edgar sings this song, I want to invite you just to stand up where you are. Come, meet me at this altar, and we want to pray. We're not going to hang out long. If you're going to have this encounter with God's grace, you need to move, and let's do that right now.